Today is the third sermon in a series that we've been starting where I, we say, I hear him. Concentrating on the commands of God, uh, that we're told to, to make disciples by teaching them all that he commanded us. And so we are spending some time focusing on the different commands of God. We started off the first week talking about repentance. Last week we were talking about the command just to be calm and what that offered the world. At the end of the repentance, our first command that we studied, we were talking about how really our job is to turn our hearts to God. That's really the, the beginning of our repentance, the beginning of our relationship with God, is the getting our hearts turned towards God. So today we're going to actually, the repentance was the first thing Jesus preached when he began his public ministry. But in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 38, we, Jesus has asked about the commands of God and he's asked, what's the greatest? And so today we're going to look at what that greatest command of God is as we study his commands and come to hear him. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that they had uh, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, Ask him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He goes on to say, that is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. And so today we're just going to focus on this first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So the command is pretty simple again. Like Jesus' commands, thankfully, they're not really hard to interpret. They're maybe a little more difficult to apply. But understanding them maybe is, is at least what he's telling us is pretty straightforward. The command is love wholehearted. Love God with your whole heart. Everything you have. Hold nothing back from him. And so today I want us to look at the scriptures and consider what that means. To love wholehearted. Uh, and so I, trying to be maybe a little clever, uh, use this as our title for the sermon today. Four chambers to wholehearted love. For those of you, you get the joke, right? Heart has Four chambers in it. That's how you can maybe remember these things. Looking at the different four parts of the heart that make up a whole heart. Four different chambers in a heart. So anyway, four chambers to wholehearted love. Number one, wholehearted love calls for obedience. And it's really addressing one that the chamber that that's addressing when when God says this, when we think about obedience to God and how wholehearted, if we're to love God wholeheartedly, it calls for us to to be obedient. It's really addressing the chamber of control. Who's in control of my life? Is it me or is it God or is it something else? Who, who is going to be in control of my life? In John fourteen fifteen, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, for this is the love of God that you, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. See, that's kind of the whole reason that we're even going through this series of studying the commands of God because we love him. And it's all about letting him have control of our life. You tell us what to do, not the other way around. Or we won't even tell ourselves what to do, that we will give God the control. 
And we will let him be in control of our lives. This is the heart of this study. This is the heart of this sermon series. Because obedience uh, is about us showing God we love him. About us rendering control to him. About saying, you be my Lord. That word Lord is 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 rightly interpreted we we don't think about it very much because we don't live in in a in a in a society that has kings and 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 so forth anymore that we have our own government but that word lord comes from that kind of government where there is a king there's a there is a monarchy and you call your king lord ruler you're in charge you're the king we're the serfs we you're the king we are your people you are in charge And so the first part of loving God is letting him take control. It's interesting, again, that verse, that verse in John, 1 John 5, 3. We often think about obedience, I think, wrongly. We often think about control wrongly. We associate obedience with doing things we don't want to do or not doing things we do want to do. You know, like you're, you have to be obedient to your parents when they said clean your room. I don't really want to clean my room, but because I'm obedient, I do it. Or, or they tell me not to do something and because I'm obedient, I refrain from doing what it is I want to do. But in 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Ever think about when we hear these commands of God, do we think about these are good for me? This is God's looking out for me. He's not holding out on me. He's not keeping me. He's not commanding me not to do things I want to do and to do things I don't want to do. But but he's actually, these are for my good. If I give God control of my life, my loving father, will he not guide me in the right way? Is he going to hold out on me? Is he going to keep me from doing what's best for me? Or will my obedience when I see it rightly, be a blessing for my life. Calmness comes from understanding that God loves us. We said that last week. And understanding that the God's commands are for our best makes it much more uh, willing for us to obey him. It's that whole idea that God's holding out on us on commands that, that Satan used to deceive Eve in the first place, right? She goes, he's like, he's holding out on you. He knows the day you eat of that tree that he commanded you not to eat of, you'll be like him. And he just doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he told you that, right? But how much better would her life have been if she had trusted and obeyed as we often sing? So we must remember that This part of loving God is all about giving over the chamber of control. Saying, God, I love you so much. And I know you're good that you can tell me what to do with my life. It's your life now, not mine. The second area we're going to look at is wholehearted love calls for priority. We have to make God priority in our life. And it's really the chamber of order or arrangement. When we look at our lives... You know, we we order our lives, we arrange our lives by the things that are the most important usually. Well, sometimes. I I often find myself doing the pressing and not doing the important. You know, we we sometimes allow those things that are pressing in on us to be our priorities, and they're not always the most important thing. You know, if you've ever been busy and stressed, you might know what I'm talking about. And, and part of our life is about setting this order and this arrangement, this 
priority in our lives. And God says if we're going to love him with our whole heart, he has to be first in order. He has to be the priority. Luke chapter 14, 26 says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother, his hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's a pretty rough statement. This is in the, there's a book that says uh, I have on my shelf that says, Ten things I wish Jesus had never said. This is one of those ten. That that God himself, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to love me more than your own father, more than your own mother, more than your own children, more than your brothers and sisters. What he's saying, he's not telling us to hate those people. He's telling us, you just got to love me first and foremost. More than any other relationship you have, the relationship with me has to be first. And that's based on this passage called the Shema uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema means hear, O Israel. And and Jews still today repeat and uh, recite these verses almost every day. Randy's already read them for us. And Jesus is basing that love on him more and first based on this uh, uh, passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Our God is one Lord. Our Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And so there's this idea that God is one. Several times the word Lord and one is mentioned in this passage. So what are they talking about? Well, there's actually three different ideas of one that I think this passage covers. There's the one in unity. A lot of people will look at this passage and say, see, that teaches the idea that the Trinity is this one. They'll get into a Trinitarian discussion that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's this unity within them. There's this oneness in them. And they'll talk about, so we don't violate this. We have one God that exists in three persons. And so there's this one of unity. There's also the one in existence, meaning there is only one in existence. You know, if you're a collector of, of like fine art prints or baseball cards or anything, they'll, they'll often put these little marks down, one of 100. Tells you there's 100 in existence and which number you got, you know, or you got 22 of 100. It's the 22nd print out of a printing of 100. There's only 100 of them. And so the fewer the number, usually the greater the value. Well, when it comes to God, it's one of one. He's the only one in existence. There is no other. He's not one of many. He's not one of a hundred. He's not one of a thousand. He's not, you know, he's just one of one. And then the other one is the one in status. Like he's number one. First in importance. First place. The top priority. Above all priorities. And so this verse talks, I think, reverses to all three of these ones. You could discuss that. But I think the verse is really pointing and wanting to, um, to make plain the middle one. The one in existence. What it's teaching us is God is the only God there is. He is God alone. Not alone and by himself. He's just just no other one. He's the one and only God. There aren't not many. It's what it's teaching us. And when we understand that. God is the only God. There is only one God. He is the one. Then doesn't it make clear sense. What priority he should have. 
If he's the only all-powerful, if he's the only all-knowing, if he's the only self-existent, if he's the only hope we have, then he should be number one in status. And so that makes it clear to us. But that's not popular in a day. I'll read an excerpt from, from someone who, who voiced what I think is popular in the world today. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there isn't only one way. But there are many diverse paths leading to what we call God. It's a statement by someone we all know, but it was a statement I think that's phrased that's become very popular in our society. And what the Bible is teaching us is no. There is only one God. There are not different ways to the same God. There isn't multiple paths. There's one and only God, Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the only way to the Father. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we get that understanding, when we understand he's the only one there is, then that makes the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 6 understandable. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Our Lord, our God is one Lord. Verse 5 says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Once you get him one in existence, one in status, then loving him with everything you have makes sense. There's nothing else we would do. And so Jesus is pointing out in that Luke passage that he just simply has to be number one in our lives. First in priority. The next chamber that we're going to address, wholehearted love calls for selflessness. It's really the chamber of motivation. Why do we love God? There's a, sometimes I have these ideas and so I just kind of Google the random idea I have in my head to see what's out there. And this is the idea of loving God, not for what we can get out of him, but just because he's God. Tozer said it this way, God must be loved for himself. God being who he is must always be sought for himself, never as a means towards something else. That we don't love God because of what we get out of God. We don't love God because of what he will do for us. We don't love God because he's going to enrich my life. We simply love God because he is God. First and foremost. Not because we can accomplish something. We'll have, we'll have you know, the strongest dude on the block to back our play. He'll be the one to look out for us. He'll give us heaven. He'll, he'll take care of us. We don't love him because he's going to look out for me. But just because of who he is. That's the idea behind this. So I kind of Googled that. And I found lots of hits. But interestingly, there's some advice on the internet out there. 21 things you deserve in a relationship. And it's a whole article about what you should get out of any relationship you have. It's about you. Interestingly, that comes from a website, www.self.com. Self.com. That's where it comes from. And I'm afraid that's how we approach a lot of relationships. And possibly even our relationship with God. I love God because what God's going to do for me. Imagine if I'd found 21 things God should do for you because you love him. But is that how we approach him? 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 6 says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. It's a scripture telling us how to love other people. And we'll talk more about that next week because that's the second great commandment is loving others. But we can say we can't love others better than we would love God. If the Bible tells us to look out for each other's interest, we shouldn't, shouldn't we also be looking out for the interests of God when we love him? Shouldn't we be loving him saying, hey, God, what can I do for you? I'm in this for you. You're great and awesome and wonderful. You're the only one true God. I'm here for you, not you for me. I think it's hard to imagine this next question because of who God is and our knowledge of who God is and because of the great love he is. But but I ask myself this just to try to push myself into thinking and understanding what I'm talking about. If God had not made a promise of eternal life, if there was no reference in the scriptures about heaven, would you still love God? If you if, if God hadn't said, hey, if you I'm going to give you heaven, if he was just if he just told you about himself, how he's eternal, how he's all powerful, how he created everything, how he's wonderful, how he's magnificent, how he made the stars. If we just had the descriptions of who he is with no promise of being saved forever in eternity, would we still love God for who he is? Or would that be, hey, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. Yeah, you're great and wonderful and beautiful and amazing and all that. But what's in it for me if I'm to love you? Why do we love God? It's this idea of motivation. That it should be selfless. That we love God simply for who he is. And not what he will do for us. And not what we will get out of the relationship. That's selfless love. Not thinking of myself, but thinking of my love alone. And in this case, it's God. One other area, the fourth area that we're going to be talking about, fourth chamber. Wholehearted love calls for self-dying. John fifteen thirteen. It's really the chamber. Whoops, should have been chamber. Forgot to change that one. Of identity. Who is living this life? John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. And so again, if we are encouraged to have this great love that we would be willing to lay our life down for one another, shouldn't we lay our life down for our greatest love for God? Have you ever seen someone lose themselves in a love relationship? There's, again... Google it, you can find what you need to out there. There's an example of this. Says, no matter how successful, this is about ladies who often lose themselves in their love relationships. It's, ded- it's de- uh, dedicated to the strong women. How, no matter how successful, assertive, a powerful woman uh, uh, they may be, the moment they become involved with a man, they begin to give up parts of themselves. Their social life, their time alone, their spiritual practice, their beliefs and values. In time, these women find that they have merged their lives with their partners to the point that they no longer have life to go back to when the relationship ends. And so we, we talk about people who've lost their lives in their love relationship. Now, that might be unhealthy in a human-to-human relationship, but that's exactly what we should do with God. We should lose ourselves in God. 
All that I am should be his. My social life, my, my, uh, my time alone, my hobbies. I, I should so merge my life with God that I don't live my life anymore. That it's his life. That's what we were created for in this merging of our lives. Because unlike the lady that I read this little quote from, the relationship with God's not intended to end. That it should be lasting forever. And we find ourselves lost in who God is. And so we cease to exist. It's this whole idea of the cross, right? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The truth of the matter is we don't have life, not real life, if it's not lost in God. It's something less than what God intended for us to be. And so we should lose ourselves, quite honestly, in God, giving him all we have. And so those are the four kind of chambers of this wholehearted love for God. You know, our every part of who we are to the point that we die to ourselves. Because God died for us. We trade our lives and he takes ours. So a bit of application for us this week. Real simple. Most of you. Yep, just about all of you. Have at one time been in a relationship. Some of you find yourselves in a relationship right now. When it comes to love and relationships. We know quite a bit about that. And I think if we will look at this idea of loving God is simply being in a relationship. We will let God be our love interest. That we will think about God, this is my love interest. And what do we do? Especially if you think about back in the dating days, how that works out. Well, the first part of any love interest is to admire them. So just admire God. Be captivated by their, by his beauty or by his handsomeness, or by his presence, or whatever it is that there is to admire about him. That when we start off seeking a love interest, the first thing that we always are captured first by that outward appearance, by that beauty. There's something that attracts us to them. That's how we'll say it. I find myself attracted. And so sometimes to make God our love interest, we just have to fall in love again, all over again. We have to get ourselves re-attracted to God. And so if you would just take a time this week and read these different psalms, they point out the beauty of God. If you read one of these psalms each day and just take moments just to be attracted and admire God for who he is and what he's done. There's just a few psalms there for you to consider reading one a day, maybe. Then once we are attracted, once a a young suitor is attracted to that uh, love interest of his, what's the next thing he begins to do? He begins to pursue them. Pursue God. Like you would any love interest. What do you do? Well, we communicate. We make phone calls. We send emails. We send texts. We do all kinds of ways to, you know, when I was pursuing Shelly, it was my goal every day to call her on the phone. I didn't want her to go a day without hearing my voice. Without knowing that I'm still there. Without knowing that I'm still interested. I haven't lost interest. I'll talk to you for an hour on the phone. 
And we'll have all these conversations and, and we'll spend this time together. And as soon as I can, I'm going to come visit you, right? We start this pursuit idea. We can do the same thing with God. Spend time with him, talk to him, make sure he hears our voice every day. Make sure we hear his voice every day. Read the love letters that he has sent to us. Maybe write some of our own love letters back to him. Pursue him as a love interest. There's some scriptures that tell us about how we should feel about God in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I pursue you. For my soul thirsts for you. My flesh for you. As in a day in the, uh, a dry and weary land, there is no water. So I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Sounds like someone who's deeply in love. You're better than water. You're better than air. I have to have you. May that be our love letter to God. And remember the promises of God. From Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you pursue me wholehearted. Say, God, you take control. God, you be my number one. God, it's not about me. It's about you. And I just want to lose myself in who you are because you are great and awesome and wonderful. And my best life can be a life spent loving you. He says, when you do that, you'll find me. And it might start for a final wrap up. This is mentioned in another place in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and 28. Another one of those lawyers asked Jesus this question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? He phrases it different in Luke's gospel that, What is it that I'm to do to inherit life? Jesus responds to the, to the lawyer and says, Well, what do you know? What have you heard? What do you think you should do? The lawyer responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And Jesus responded and said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That eternal life, that part that we can't separate from God, no matter how hard we might try to imagine it, is connected with being wholeheartedly in love with God. And so one time, when addressing this in my own life, as our hearts tend to find many different things, I wrote this as a prayer, and I'll share it with you. Maybe this is where today, as you think about saying, I want to make God my love interest. I want to make him number one in my life. I want to lose myself in him. I want to give him control. I want him to be the motivation of my life. Not what I get out of him, but what I can do for him. Maybe this is just where we need to start. Lord God of heaven, the eternal one. The eternal one. As I sit here now, I'm not sure I can say that I do this clear teaching of the Bible. I think I could say I love you. Maybe even a lot. But I see evidence in my life of many other loves, too. They even seem to be greater than my love for you. I don't want it to be this way. I'm sorry. Please, please, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help me love you with all. Let this be the time in my life that I sell out completely to you. I'm afraid to say this next part. Lord, Break the affections I have 
that allure me away from loving you as the scriptures teach. I know in my head this is foolishness, but I but somewhere in my heart still loves another. Change my heart, O oh God, my creator. Only you can. Lord Jesus, be my one.